Amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. We're going to go into time of preaching. Of course, you notice we didn't do our usual welcome time and those kind of things. Uh, but we are super excited to be with you guys again uh, this morning. We're kind of following the same kind of schedule, the kind of program that we follow during our drive-in services because we want to make sure to get you guys out of here so we can get the next crew in here, okay? And so uh, we care about your safety, but we're so excited and grateful for everything that God is doing for us and through us. Now, I mean, I'm just, I'm serious. I'm just super excited to actually see you guys. You may not know this, in some of the drive-in services, I may have looked right at you, but all I saw was the glare of a windshield. Amen? So it's good to actually, well, Dennis, I saw you, brother. But it was good to just be able to see your smiling faces. And it's awesome to be together. If you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 22. You've got your sermon notes there in that bulletin. I want to encourage you to, uh, to check that out. Use those notes. We've been talking about, the last few weeks, we have been talking about faith and forgiveness. The first week, we talked about uh, having faith for the future. The fact that our good God is in control of the future and we can trust him. And we know that Jesus wins. And that makes me uh, have faith for the future. And then the next week, we talked about having you know, enough faith to forgive other people, that Jesus for, uh, commands us to be people who forgive, and so we're going to forgive, even though sometimes that is difficult. And then last week, we talked about this idea of having enough faith to forgive God. Now, we understand that technically speaking, we don't forgive God of anything. God does no wrong. He doesn't sin. But some of us, we develop a grudge against God when maybe sometimes some things don't go our way or, or, or we just kind of have this grudge and we need to reconcile with God and make things right. And so today I want to talk to you about forgiving the person that is probably the most difficult person for some of you to forgive. And I'm going to talk about forgiving yourself. Forgiving yourself. How do you forgive yourself when you've let yourself down, when you let God down, or you've hurt somebody that you really do care about? It can be difficult. And one of the reasons it's difficult is because you know what you did better than anybody. Sometimes people think they got to tell you what you did. Hey, Marcus, don't forget your past. You think I've forgotten my past? You know what you did. You know what you said. Even worse than that, you know what you thought. And nobody else knows that. Only you and the Lord. And so sometimes it can be hard, man, to forgive ourselves. I mean, we know what we think when nobody else is listening. We carry the shame. We carry the guilt. How can I forgive myself? Maybe Jesus has forgiven me, but I can't seem to forgive myself. I don't know what it might mean for you. Maybe you get drank too much one night and you did something or said something. You hurt someone and you regret it with all of your heart. Maybe in the name of loving your family, uh, you just you poured yourself into your work because you're going to be a, a good provider and you're going to take care of yours and, and, and all of this. And you poured yourself into the job only to get way on down the road and look back and realize you did a good thing, but you neglected the best thing, your family. And you're living with that regret because you can't go back and undo it. Maybe you found yourself in a bad place in your marriage, and instead of stepping into that marriage, you stepped out of that marriage. And now you're living with that regret. What do you do when what you did haunts you and you can't seem to let it go? And so, first of all, as we begin this morning, I want to acknowledge a couple of things. The first thing you're going to have to understand right up front is this. Look at this next slide. 
All guilt is not created equal. You've got to understand the difference. You've got to know that all guilt is not created uh, uh, equal. Some of you, write this down, some of you are living with this thing that I've called false guilt. False guilt. Now, now what is false guilt? You're feeling guilty for something you should not feel guilty about. You feel bad about something you should not feel bad about. I don't know what it might be for you. Maybe you're a kid and you're when you're a child and your parents got divorced and somehow you just feel like maybe if you'd done something different, maybe they would have stayed together. And you feel a sense of guilt over somebody else. No, that's not on you. That's false guilt. Or maybe for some of those, of, maybe some of you have had somebody you loved or maybe somebody you trusted and they physically or emotionally or in some way abused you. And so often, it, and it's tragic and it's sad, but victims often feel guilt. You know, if I'd done something different, if I would have, if I would have done somehow, some way would have done something different, this would have never happened to me. That's a lie. That was not your fault. That's false guilt. Don't buy into the devil's game of shaming you with this false guilt. It's always dangerous. It's never productive and it's not from God. And we need to get past it. Let it go. It's hard. Not all guilt is created equal. Some guilt, though, is actually a gift from God. And it's going to be in the passage we look at this morning, but write this down. It's godly, it's what Scripture calls godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. This is the good kind of guilt, the right kind of guilt, right? It can be a gift because it draws you to the presence of God. And again, it's not in the passage we're looking at this morning, but it's the first one there in your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says, for godly sorrow... Say that with me on count of three, godly sorrow. One, two, three, godly sorrow produces what? Repentance leading where? To salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow, scripture teaches, leads us to repentance. A sorrow to say, hey, I wish I hadn't have done this thing. This wasn't the right. I was not right. I was wrong. I dishonored God. I hurt somebody. Maybe I hurt myself, and I don't want to do that again. That brings us to repentance, and it leads to salvation and no regrets. It's a feeling of, when we, in church all the time, we use that word conviction. That's what we're talking about, that Holy Spirit conviction, right, that leads to repentance it can help you because what godly sorrow does, you're going this way and it's the wrong path, but godly sorrow will turn you around and get you on the right path. That's what godly sorrow does. When you say, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to, I want to change directions, change behavior. I want to apologize. I want to live in freedom. I want to be able to express God's love and heal from what happened in my past and move into the future. One of the best examples of all of scripture of this is, look at this next slide, is Peter. You remember Peter? M many of you and myself, we can relate to Peter. I mean, I know I can. Peter's the guy that had a lot of good qualities. See, that's why I said I can relate to him. All my good qualities. Peter had all kinds of good qualities, and he'd be going in the right direction. He'd be doing so good, and then he would just do something so stupid. He would say something so dumb. I mean, he's doing good, and then dumb, 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 dumb right? Can any of you relate with that this morning? Raise your hand. Can you? Can, have you ever done anything dumb, right? Some of you spouses need to wake up your other spouse and say, he's talking about you, big guy. Right? Going in the right direction, honoring God, doing everything's clicking along, and then you do something stupid. 
That's Peter. One time, Peter, he's kind of bragging on himself. And Jesus uh, was talking about betrayal and all of that. And, and Peter's like, not me, Jesus. I'll never betray you. I'll never let you down, right? Everybody else, not me. Right? And Jesus kind of sees through his pride and knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And, and he looks at Peter. He said, Peter, you need to calm down, big guy. Right? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter, not me, Jesus. Not me. I'd never, I've, me and you, thick and thin. But then that's exactly what happens, right? They come and they arrest Jesus, you know. And Peter kind of tried to get rowdy, but we'll talk about that some other time. Peter tried to get rowdy, not very effective. I mean, honestly, if you had 10 tries, could you only cut off an ear if you tried? Right? I mean, that's how bad the guy was. And so and he cuts off the guy's ear, all of that. Jesus is arrested. Peter's following along. Now, why did Peter go? What's well, the same reason why you slow down when you pass an accident or something, right? We just, we just you know, we see this terrible thing happening. You, sometimes you can't take your eyes off of it. So Peter follows at a safe distance. Jesus is being arrested. He's, all these things are going on. And this little girl walks up to Peter and says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he's like, man, I don't know what you're talking about. You're tripping. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not, no, I don't know that guy. Jesus who? Then another woman comes up. She goes, no, no, weren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Weren't you with Jesus? And, he's, and Peter's like, I don't know why. It can't be from Galilee. Everybody from Galilee's with Jesus, right? I don't even know Jesus. Galilee's bigger than you people think. Then a third confronts him. Look at Luke 22. Look at verse 59 there in your Bible. It says, then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he's a Galilean. See, they're, they're profiling all Galileans now. Verse 60, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned. Now get that. Woo! Get that. I don't know if you've ever missed that before. He denied Jesus and what? The Lord turned and looked at Peter. See, Peter probably thought Jesus didn't even know he was there because, you know, Jesus has got his own problems right now. But he denied him that third time, and Jesus looked at him. Could you imagine being Peter, big, bad Peter? All of a sudden, he's about that big, isn't he? Isn't he? So what happened? Look at the last part of verse B. I mean, verse 61. It says, Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. What did Peter do? He went out and wept bitterly. I bet he did. I bet he did. But what was this? This is a good example of, we'll talk about it some more in a minute, godly sorrow. Right? I can't believe what I did. I'm so stupid. I'm so, I'm, I don't, I'm sorry. I wish I had never done that. Right? I can't believe I did that. How could I do something like that? Have you ever done that before? Now the next kind of guilt, write this down. I've called it shame. It's what the Bible calls worldly sorrow. Right? But I'm just, I just, I want to call it shame. It's that shame. Now, we know that we do things wrong. We do things that we should be ashamed of. And there are times where we probably should be ashamed. But this is this unhealthy, worldly sorrow that Scripture points out. And then uh, Scripture shows us this is the kind that produces death. Death. The moment you're there, the devil wants you to keep, just to keep you there. The difference between godly sorrow and, and shame is huge. Look at this next slide. Guilt says I did something bad. Shame says I am bad. Not the Michael Jackson sense, okay? It says, listen, guilt, when I have godly, right, sorrow, when I have godly guilt, that's going to lead me to repentance and salvation. But when I have this shame, 
that I'm just carrying with me, even though uh, uh, um, you know, I can find forgiveness, but I just carry this shame. It's just this sense of what I do isn't bad. I'm just bad. Now, we know what Scripture teaches, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We believe that. We teach that. We're going to talk about that uh, some more. You are a sinner, and you cannot save yourself. But that's a big difference between that and allowing your shame, rather than draw you to God, to drive a wedge between you and God. What the devil does, he wants to connect the action. It's like what, when we give names. Right? What do I say? Have you ever told a lie? What does that make you? Well, I said a thief last week. Anyway, but if, if you ever told a lie, what does that make you? A liar, right? And so what happens is we live with that as our identity. So we just say, well, I'm a liar. That's what, you know, it's not what I do. It's who I am. And we carry that in an unhealthy way. You just think you're pathetic, worthless, useless. God will never use you again. You're never going to measure up. You don't have what it takes. You're never going to have a great marriage. Your children are never going to respect you. You're never going to leave any kind of legacy. You're always going to be marked by the thing that you did because, not because what you did is bad, but because you are bad. There's a big difference. The pain that you're experiencing, the shame, I deserve it. Why? Because I am bad. And the moment you start dwelling in that shame, your spiritual enemy has you exactly where he wants you to be. I'm not, we're not talking about you should be strutting through sin. That's not what I mean at all. But you can almost imagine what the devil is telling Peter in this moment. Jesus looks at him. He denied Jesus three times. Jesus, I got your back. I'm always going to have your back. All right? He fell short. Imagine what the devil, Peter, you blew it. Peter, after all that big talk. Right? All that big talk. Peter, Jesus chose you personally. Out of everybody, he chose you, Peter, to be one of his disciples. Not only that, Peter, you were in the inner circle of the disciples. He chose you, and you let them down, man. And really, you didn't even blink. You fell short, and Jesus saw you do it. All the disciples are going to know, right? You're never going to have any credibility. Everybody knows you're not the tough guy you pretend like you are all the time. Your life is over. Your ministry is over. Your integrity is shot. I want you to understand that shame is the devil's playground. Write this down. The devil wants to use your shame to drive you away from God. He wants to use your shame to drive you away from God. I'm bad. God could never love me. I'm bad. God would never love me. You're not good enough for God. You'll never measure up. And God can never really love you. The news is you're not good enough for God. You never can measure up. But God really does love you. The devil wants to use your shame to drive you away. Write this down. But God wants to use that godly sorrow, that godly guilt, to draw you to his grace. That's the point. Because godly sorrow leads to what? Repentance and to salvation. That's the power where you say, I don't want this anymore. I, I, I've got to turn. I need a safe place to go. I've got a God who loves me, a God who cares about me, a God who will receive me and forgive me and wash me clean. The devil wants you to be ashamed and stay away from God because you don't measure up. God wants to use that guilt, that godly guilt, to show that you don't measure up and that you need him. That's the difference. Now compare, now we got Peter, the other guy. Look at this next slide. Compare Peter with Judas. I mean, it's very similar. Very similar. But Peter had that godly guilt, that godly sorrow, and, and Judas had that, that uh, the sorrow of the world. 
Peter denied Jesus three times. Judas did it one big time for 30 pieces of silver, right? And instead of having a godly sorrow like Peter, Judas had what many of you are living with. In his shame, he had worldly sorrow. Man, I'm, I'm so busted. My life is so over. I got caught. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. I, can, I could never face him. I'm, I, can, I, I could never face anybody again. So what did Judas do? Judas separated himself from God, and he killed himself. By, by the way, here's a quick, let me just jump in real quick and make sure you know Suicide is not the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. That's not what the Bible teaches. I don't say that to encourage you. Go out, rejoice. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying a lot of people have been taught that over the years. I'm not going to go into that really heavy right now. But you just need to know the Bible does not teach that suicide is an unpardonable, unforgivable sin. That's not what, that's just not the case. But Judas here is clearly lost. And he commits suicide. And once that life was over, all his opportunities to get saved were over, and he busted hell wide open. Why? Because he had worldly sorrow that he allowed to drive him even further away from God. He separated himself from God, and he took his life. Shame is the devil's playground. He wants you to stay there. But there's Peter, who essentially did the same thing, right? But instead, Peter had godly sorrow. Right? I'm, I'm busted. My life is over. I've been caught. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. I could never face anybody again. But he had godly sorrow. Now, how do we know? Write this down. We had godly sorrow because it leads to repentance. And we know that Peter repented. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Now, what is repentance? It's a changing of directions. I'm going this way. I'm not going to go this way. I'm going to go God's way. Matter of fact, repentance, repent. Um, Pent, uh, the Greek word uh, penthouse. You know where the penthouse is? It's on the top, baby, right? So uh, repent means I'm, I'm taking, I'm, I'm doing it again, but I'm not, ta- I'm not taking the lower, I'm taking the higher. I'm exchanging the low for the high. So when I repent, I'm exchanging my lowly, sinful, fleshly, sinful desires. I'm exchanging that for something higher than me, which is Christ. Does that make sense? That's what repentance is. And I hear preachers nowadays preach against preaching on repentance. Those preachers need to repent. It's where we say, God, I'm sorry. I don't, want, I don't ever want to live like that again. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to think that. I want your freedom. I want to be a blessing to those around me. The most miserable people, most miserable people in the world aren't the people that live with worldly sorrow. It's the people who have to live with the people who are living with worldly sorrow. Because you make everybody miserable around you. Because you can't forgive yourself, so you forgive nobody else. Because you carry that shame and that guilt. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And repentance leads to forgiveness and a change of life. There's this amazing story in the Bible. So you know what happened. So um, uh, Jesus was arrested. They tr- all the sham trials that he went through. Then they crucified him, the death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is, the tomb is empty. Jesus has resurrected from the de- dead. And Jesus shows up to Peter. Peter. Now, Jesus shows himself to Peter, the one who failed Jesus, right? The one who lit Jesus down, the one who denied Jesus. Jesus showed himself to Peter. And Jesus looked at Peter. Look what he said in John 21, verse 15. 
He says, Simon, now there's so much in this verse, we're not going to go over this morning, but Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Because remember, what was Peter saying? Not me, Jesus. Me and you, man, thick and thin. Everybody else might deny you, but not me. And here Jesus is after the resurrection. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And Peter did love Jesus. But let me tell you what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, I told you so. He didn't say, hey, well, what about that time you denied me? Right? He didn't put them in spiritual timeout. He didn't tell Peter to go drown in his guilt. Look at verse 15. Last part of verse 15 says, he said to him, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Of course, he's going to do this three times. Feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Right? He does this three times. Why does Jesus do this three times? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Right, but what is he saying? Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know everything. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. In other words, do my will. Show my love. Finish your assignment. You're forgiven. Go and do what I created you to do. I have forgiven you. And then what was Peter's response? His response was, no, 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 no. I'm just going to run away, Jesus. I don't deserve your grace. I can't get over it. He didn't say, Jesus, your grace may be good enough for John, because we know you like John, but it's not good enough for me. Peter didn't do that. Peter didn't do it. Peter didn't do what too often we do. Look at this next line. Too often we wallow in worldly sorrow. That's a song for you, Scott. It'd be an old Southern gospel song, right? Don't wallow in worldly sorrow. I'm sorry. Anyway, that's what we do. And there's something in our human nature that likes staying there. Because even while we're heaping shame and guilt upon ourselves, eventually we begin to feel like a victim of ourselves. And there's nothing better than our sinful human nature likes than being a victim, right? We're a victim of ourselves. We wallow in worldly sorrow. Peter acknowledged his sin. He repented and received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to do. I don't know what you're holding on to. I don't know what you didn't do years ago. I don't know what you did do years ago. Right? Something that still weighs on you. Something you said. Someone you hurt. An opportunity that's gone and will never come back to make things right. Look at this next slide. But if you've confessed it to Jesus, it is forgiven. And it's time to let it go. It's time to let it go. Stop trying to, you know, there's some false pagan religions and what they do is they hurt themselves to try to be made right with God. So if I whip myself, beat myself, cut myself, do something, prostrate myself, all these things, if I hurt myself enough, then somehow I'm atoning for my sins and God will accept me. And, and that's contrary to the word of God. But so many Christians are doing that to themselves, but they're not doing it physically. They're doing it emotionally and mentally and, and spiritually. What they're doing is if I, if I could just hurt me enough, if I can have enough shame, enough guilt, and if I make myself miserable enough because I'm so, 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 so sorry, then maybe I'll be good enough for God. It doesn't work like that. What happened was God took all of your sin, your punishment, all your sorrow, all your suffering upon himself at the cross, right? He got beat so you don't have to beat yourself up. And you need to receive that forgiveness and live in the freedom that he has given you. If you've confessed it and you meant it, it is forgiven, man. It's time to move on. Now this verse, we read this verse all the time here at Grace because it's so good. First John chapter 1 verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us. 
Again, he's faithful, he will forgive us, and he's just. He paid the price that you could never pay. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? All of it. Not, and, and including that special pet sin that you've got tucked away back here that you think you could never be forgiven of. If you've brought it to Christ, you've repented of it, you've given it to him, he has forgiven you. All unri- unrighteousness. Jesus has covered it. If he can't cover that, he can't cover nothing. And he has covered it. Look at this next slide. Don't let the pain of the past rob you from God's calling for your future. Don't let an excuse like yesterday keep you from being who God has called you to be today so that you can step into the future that God has for you tomorrow. Who is God calling you to be? What is God calling you to do? Don't let yesterday be an excuse for not being who or what God is calling you to do. Acknowledge the truth that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter where you go, no matter how bad you want it or how hard you try, you cannot change your past. God can change your future. He'll do that with some godly sorrow. Let me ask you like Jesus asked Peter, do you love him? Yes, then do his will. Feed his lambs. Feed his sheep. You are forgiven. Do what God has called you to do. God's hand is still on you. God's grace is still in you. God's power still works through you. I mean, think about Peter. This means a lot to me because I'm a bonehead like Peter. Who did God choose to be the guest speaker on the day of Pentecost? God chose Peter. And what was Peter's message to the people on the day of Pentecost? Repent! He says, you got to do what I did. Repent and turn to Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the very people, that, uh, that some of these people that had handed Jesus over to be crucified. And if, like we talked about at Easter, if even the sin of handing over the sinless, perfect Son of God over to be crucified, if that sin can be forgiven, anything you've ever done can be forgiven. And Peter says, those people, repent. Turn from your sin. Trust Christ and you'll be forgiven. God didn't choose the one who was perfect. God chose the disciple who was forgiven. He didn't choose the one who was always faithful and never let him down. That one didn't exist. He chose the one that experiences grace. The devil wants you to think that you're always going to be someone bad. Jesus makes all things new. He can make you new too. You're not what you did this morning, church. You are who Jesus says you are. And in your life, who does Jesus say you are? Forgiven, redeemed, walk in the liberty that he has given you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and the assurance we have, the truth of the the good news, the gospel, Lord, that we can come and that we can repent. And God, that you forgive us and you wash us clean. Lord, I just... Uh, Pray that we, your children, will glorify you, even in our hearts and our minds, and that we'll have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Listen, guys, uh, every head bowed, every eye closed. As you keep praying for just a moment, for those of us who are believers, man, our kind of our application prayer this morning, it's pretty simple, man. It's not complicated. It's simply this. God, help me to walk in the reality of who you say I am. Right? You know that you're saved. You know that you're forgiven. Right? But your prayer this morning is simply, God, help me to walk in the reality of who you say I am. Not walking in my past, but walking with you today, 
right now. Is that your prayer this morning? Slip your hand up all over the congregation, all over, all over. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, Lord, I thank you that today is a day of freedom. Lord, we thank you that for whoever the Son sets free, we know is free indeed. Lord, I pray that your people will step out of guilt and step into freedom. Help us to act like people who've been forgiven. Help us to live like people who've been forgiven of much. Therefore, Lord, let us love much. Lord, help us to live in the awareness that we are free from the past to do your will today and to do your will tomorrow. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed, just a moment. There's some of you this morning, you don't know that you're saved. You don't know. When we've talked about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, there's something in your heart, and you know that you haven't repented of your sin and trusted Christ to save you. And maybe you've been using your past as an excuse to not do business with God today. Your relationship with God is not based on past performance. Look up here for just a second. I want you guys to look at this verse. Look at this scripture. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it tells us about what Jesus did for us. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we, who, we might become the righteousness of God in him. How do you become the righteousness of God? Not by your righteousness, not about how good you are, and honestly, not, how, not based on how bad you beat yourself up for all the bad things you've done, and you've done plenty of bad things. And we're not minimizing that at all. It costs the blood of Jesus. The, the terrible reality of the crucifixion was the price for all of those sins. But it's not about your righteousness. It's about his. And what God did was there's this beautiful exchange on the cross where God took your sin and put it upon his perfect son, the Lamb of God, that we might become righteous in the eyes of God. And so it's not based on what you did yesterday. It's based on what you're going to do with Jesus right now. He died so that we don't have to. He paid the price for you to be forgiven and redeemed. Have you trusted him? Listen, I'm going to encourage you in just a moment to do exactly what Peter did and what he told those people on the day of Pentecost to repent and turn from their sins, to simply say, God, I sin. Lord, I'm turning from my sin and I'm asking you, to save me. Will you pray with me one more time? Every head bowed. No looking around. Be respectful of those around you. Listen, if that's your prayer this morning, I want to encourage you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you'd like to pray and receive Christ right now, just as a, a sign of you humbling yourself before God, and I just want to pray with you, would you slip your hand up for just a second? Slip your hand up. God bless you. Listen, it's, it's this simple. It's, it's complex, but it's simple. Why don't you come and confess your sin to God and simply say, tell him, say, Father God, I'm a sinner. Lord, you know. Lord, you know. But I repent. I turn from my sin, and I'm turning to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, Lord, based on your death, burial, and resurrection, not my past performance, not my goodness, not my righteousness, say, but God, your goodness your death, burial, and resurrection for me. All of me, I surrender to all of you. Listen, I want to encourage you. If you just prayed to receive Christ, you prayed that you just called on the name of Jesus, the word of God is clear. It says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you call on them? 
Maybe you're here this morning and God is calling you to be baptized. Maybe you've received Christ. That first step is followed through in believers' baptism. Why don't you come this morning? We'll schedule the time, rejoice with you. We've got several others scheduled to be baptized. Maybe you recognize this morning that your baptism and salvation are out of whack, man. We get saved and then we get baptized. It's the testimony so often of people that they, they walked in aisle, they got baptized, but they didn't really understand what they were doing maybe, and they gave their heart to Christ later. You need to be baptized. I would encourage you to do that. Maybe this morning you recognize that Grace Baptist Church is your grace home, and it's time for you to begin growing and serving right here at Grace to be a part of the team. You can come this morning and do that. You can come to the altar this morning and pray. I just want to encourage you this morning. Whatever God is calling you to do, do business with God this morning. He loves you. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazareth.